You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, Lee, Mark, and Simon are going to be talking about Doctor Who so that I don't have to. I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. I'm Simon. And I just have the worst cold ever, but tonight was the only night we could do the uh, Angels Take Manhattan review, so here we are. And we've got the new theme going out with this episode, haven't we? Oh yeah, thanks to Wesley Smith for the new new theme. Mm -hmm. I asked him for the maddest thing he could come up with, and I think you'll agree, he's pretty much... (laughs) He's basically stuck a band on top of a house and then kicked him off the roof. (laughs) Yes, and it sounds great. <laughs> Who let Muttley in the room? But it is good, though, isn't it? <laughs> Yet another impression. Right, we have started all of these reviews with a synopsis of the story that we've just watched, even if it's not quite the same. Do you want one of us to read it out? Save your voice. Hey, let me give it a go. If I don't make it to the end, I don't make it to the end, but let me at least try. There's so, a s- <clears throat> It's a silver lining to every cloud. <laughs> So, here is the review of the episode we've just seen, and if it doesn't tally with the one that you've been watching, then that's your fault, not ours. Paradox. The Angels of Harlem. (laughs) Sorry. The Doctor decides to take Amy and Rory on holiday to New York, and while they are there, they discover Riversong has had exactly the same idea. The three friends, stroke relatives, meet up in the Statue of Liberty. However, New York has been invaded by a weeping angel, the Statue of Liberty itself, and Riversong gets touched by the angel in an attempt to send her back in time and feed off the energy of the life she would have lived had she stayed in the here and now. But... The angel's plan goes awry. A weeping angel has never tried to touch anyone while that person was inside the angel before. And further than that, River is wearing a time bracelet. Instead of sending River Song back in time, the angel's touch instead sends her back along her own time stream. And as the Doctor, Amy and Rory watch horrified, River first ages slightly, then turns into Mel's and eventually into Melody Pond, before finally becoming a swaddling babe in arms made out of milk. (laughs) Amy goes all googly-eyed and decides to quit her travels with the Doctor and bring up Melody Pond properly this time. Rory goes along with what Amy says because basically that's what Amy tells him to do. The Doctor finishes his holiday in New York alone. Were you a bit feverish when you wrote that? I'm a bit feverish now reading it. Mm. Hallucinate. (laughs) You could talk over those bits. I was going to talk, but (laughs) you completely put me off with that. So then... First thoughts? First impressions? I rather enjoyed it. So did I. Loved it. Beautiful. It was the whole thing was beautiful. Really? To watch. But I was a bit saddened by some of it. Because it's gonna be an end of an era for Doctor Who. It's a different way of filming Doctor Who. That's can't really look back and do it in a very T V kind of way anymore. This is very filmic. 
tiny little film. And are, it, are it was very this? similar to kind of things like, um, you know, the, the American HBO series at the moment that we're on. It's very... Is he, is he going to continue in this vein for the second half of the series, JR? Oh, I've no idea. I don't know what they're planning. Why are you asking him? How's he going to know? They well. said this was going to be a mini-series of mini-movies, right? So mm. they did the Western and the Dinosaurs, and they've done this one in New York, and Asylum of the Daleks, of course. Power of Three, not so much, perhaps. Has it I... been confirmed if there are only two-parters in the second half of the season? Uh, not insofar as anybody knows. So they could potentially carry on with that sort of theme. Mm. Well, I think the second half of the series... Well, you know, once they've started out on the road of trying to make them slightly more cinematic, but then I think they've been doing that ever since Stephen Moffat took over anyway. Mm. One of the things he did as soon as he took over, and I think we talked about this before, was that he pretty much changed all the directors. And whereas Russell T. Davis said right at the start he didn't want handheld cameras because the kind of look he wanted was more like a cartoon... I guess. Mm. Okay. So it was all either steady cams or, you know, cameras on mounts. Mm. So it was all fixed perspectives, basically. Mm. You know, there was a lot of camera movement, but from a fixed perspective. But Stephen Moffat has used a lot of handheld camera work, mm. which obviously is something that films more and more these days are doing. And TV, American TV, like you were saying. In fact, if you look at Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. all yeah, their special all effects it. shots, all their outer space special effects shots are deliberately treated like to make them look mm. like they're handheld cameras in space. Mm. So Stephen Moffat's obviously gone down that route. Mm. So if you if you ask me, this whole they look more like films thing has been coming for the last two and a half years anyway. Mm. So I think the whole... Uh, they're going to be more like mini-movies, is more about the scripts and the subject matter than it is really about the way they look. Although, obviously, that's got something to do with it. And this one in New York and the Western. And here I am gabbling away ten to the dozen when I said I wasn't going to be talking. <laughs> yeah, we knew that would happen. The opening sequence, so the pre-credit titles or whatever, uh, was amazing. It was beautiful. In mm. fact, when you watch that, out of context of Doctor Who, that could be another, anything. Anything. But done really well. I was totally hooked and totally pulled in. You only know it's Doctor Who when the guy when the guy goes on the roof. There's a bloody great Statue of Liberty there with its mouth open and a big bunch of fangs, and you just think, "All oh, right, okay." Do you know <laughs> now, what? Now we've arrived because we're recording this one slightly later than usual. We've with the other four episodes, we've either recorded them immediately the episode's gone out, or even before. But this one is the first one that we've actually all, apart from Lee, seen more than once. And we're recording it a couple of days later because it's just the earliest opportunity that we all had to get together and do it. Mm. So actually now, for the first time in this mini-series, you know, we're doing it late enough that we can see a few of the things that other people have said online. And, you know, the amount of people... Yeah, yeah, the amount of people who've said about that opening sequence, A, why have such a long sequence with the Doctor and Amy and that not in it? It doesn't feel like Doctor Who. And B... (laughs) And B, how does the Statue of Liberty manage to walk around without anybody noticing it? Well, it's Doctor Who for crying out loud! That, in answer that, to the second of those that questions, that is the only thing that would that, that that is the only thing that would annoy me in the future. The more I watch it, I'll be thinking, 
Why? I know that they just wanted to do it. Look, New Yorkers are used to this sort of thing. They've had the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters wandering <laughs> around, haven't they? It's not a problem. In a comedy film, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm glad they didn't show it moving, because it shuffling about would just, you know, that would have me in stitches. We kept hearing it moving, of course. Yeah, yeah. no, I like Clomp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go back to the next clomp. Doctor, and you've got the Cyber King wandering around, <laughs> you know, Victorian London. Yeah, but that looked cool. Yeah, it did. And oh. the... Do you think so? Yeah, it looked great. I knew it was oh, all wrong. I didn't like that at all. That. I knew it was all really? wrong, but it was right too. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's Doctor Who. It, does... right. it reminded me of Starfleet. It's Doctor Who. <laughs> it does stupid things that don't make any sense <laughs> in order to give you an image that you're not going to see in any other programme. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. No, it's brilliant. And the kids would be talking about the Statue of Liberty with teeth for ages, wouldn't they? Well, if you're going to talk about things... It's a trick you wouldn't want to miss, isn't it? If you're going to talk about things that don't make any sense, Doctor Who would have run for about three episodes <laughs> back in 1963, and that would have been it. In fact, it wouldn't have run for three episodes. Mm. It would have run for about 12 minutes. I think they did a really good job of using the most of the location work they did. I thought it looked fantastic. Mm. Mm, well, a lot did. of it was just um, kind of, you know, locked-off cameras filming beautiful statues mm. around New York. In a way that only a tourist or Brit might do, an artistic Brit. Whereas in America, if they were to film their own, um, you know, New York, I don't know if they'd film it the same way as we would say. So it's it's an interesting kind of perspective and a very gothic one as well. They don't manage to capture all the most. Also, gothic I think parts the majority, if not all of the interiors, were filmed in Cardiff, so they did a pretty decent job of matching oh, the yeah, interiors, the interiors no. as well. It was really good. It was in Cardiff. I know it's crazy. Uh, that it? graveyard was in Cardiff as well. They Gorgeous. The uh, New York skyline on behind. Oh, they had me. I thought it was a beautiful scene, mm. a beautiful picture. Uh, yeah, oh, that's gorgeous. That mm. it did look Grenache. lovely. Um, I could have done with less of the statues around New York, though. To be honest, really? Yeah, I. Th- you know, the thing about the yeah. Weeping Angels is, in the first one, in Blink, you had that montage of all the statues yeah. at the end, it could be saying anyone. any one of these could be yeah. an angel. But in this, it was almost like you had the same montage throughout the entire episode mm. telling you all of these are angels. And to me, that kind of took the threat away. Do you know what I mean? Too much of it. It's not like... Well, I, well, but, but then oh. there's the argument that this could be the first time somebody's seen the angels in an episode. You yeah, but it. no, but what I mean is from a personal perspective, mm-hmm. if you've got a bunch, of sh- a bunch of statues, if you're playing the kid's game, right? And you don't know, if you're playing a kid's game and you don't know who is on, right, for example, and it could be anybody who's on, then you're scared because you don't know who's safe and who's not safe. Right, got it, But the way this episode tells you every statue is an angel, it's like, okay, so they're all not safe. I've got to say, I I didn't get that. I didn't get that they were all angels. I just thought they'd just shown us more (coughs) statues saying one of these could be. No, no, that was the the whole thing when the doctor got to that. You know, the angels have taken Manhattan. That was the line. The angels take Manhattan. They're all all the statues. So by that point, we know weeping yeah. angels. But you've got to ask at that point if all the statues are weeping angels, then all the statues have come in as living beings, and none of the statues are actually just statues. No, I didn't get that. Really? Oh well. No, no I thought some were still but, statues and some weren't. There are a couple of interesting things that moved on the myth, like for instance, uh, the doctor saying uh, that the angels can go into any statue or something. They can take over statues, as opposed to them actually already being beings. I mean, like the cherubs, for instance. 
Oh, I don't know. I missed that, you see. Well, they, sure they must be able that. to do that, because obviously there's different types of statue, rather than just being the angels. So are the angels, are the angels themselves... Inhabiting in, statues. Inhabiting statues. They are something else within the statues. Yeah, maybe. Or are they the... I, I think I heard <coughs> that, and that was a bit confusing. Well, the see, are good as well, the more you think about the angels, the less sense they make. They make no sense. And their mode of they operation don't. was good. It was back to the original, take you back in yeah. time, as opposed to just strangling the life out of you. When the story requires them to, or when Rory's <laughs> I, case, I, I like the sideways in time, or in River's case, they just grab hold of her wrist. Hmm. So it doesn't mm. make any sense. It's just, you know, me and Simon were having this discussion before we ate press record, before we rewatched the episode. swearing at me and everything. I was not no. swearing <laughs> at you. That's because you mentioned Eric Sayward. Uh, he but, did not mention Eric Sayward, and you, I did not I'm sorry, you're real, aren't you? I shouldn't mention that word, should I? No, you better uh, bleep those out, by the no, way. No, I was talking about my plumber, Derek Sayward. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation is getting pretty wayward. <laughs> But the point is, Mm. the story is not about the Weeping Angels. The Weeping Angels are a completely one-dimensional concept. They're just a thing that you put in a story in order to enable things to happen. But surely the the, the central, the pivoting thing was this building where they trapped people and they were were sending them back in time over and over again in order to feed off them. Yeah, but they weren't sending them back in time over and over again, were they? They were just sending them back in time the once. No, I thought they were doing it again and again. No, that was the whole point. When Rory got there, they sent him back the once, and then he lived his entire life in that room and died. He just went back the once. This whole battery farm, they did make mention at one point. They feed off them again and again. But during that feeding off them again and again, Rory only gets sent back the once. But that's probably enough to feed off him for the rest of his life. Just keep him in a room and feed off him. But he wasn't sent back. 80-odd years, was he? 50 years, was he? First time round, yeah. Oh, okay. That's the whole thing. It doesn't make any sense. The angels are a plot function that you add into a story that's about something else. Blink is the perfect example. Blink was a rewrite of Stephen Moffat's annual story, What I Did on My Christmas Holidays by Sally Sparrow, Mm. which was a story about the Doctor having become separated from the TARDIS and... He has to leave a series of clues for somebody, in this case Sally Sparrow, to pick up so that she can find the TARDIS and take it back in time to where he is and reunite him with the TARDIS. And that's what happens in Blink. And what happens in Blink is Sally Sparrow gets the video messages to take the TARDIS back to the Doctor who's back in the 1960s. Mm. But because there's no monsters and no peril in the annual, it's basically just this sweet little story about this sweet little girl... Stephen Moffat thinks, right, I've got to put something in there. And being Stephen Moffat, he thinks, right, what are kids most scared of? Cracks in a wall, uh, you know, monsters under the bed, uh, statues that can get you. So he hasn't used statues that can get you yet. Grandma's footsteps as well. Yeah. That, that's the game, isn't it, where you exactly, turn around. Yeah. They were walks. actually originally meant to be in Silence in the Library, weren't they? Yeah, although Blink oh. actually came before Silence yeah. in the Library. Well, so. he, he agreed to do the... Um, Dalek two-parter for series three and then it all fell through so he said he would take on doing the Doctor Light episode because it was the one that nobody wanted to do so he took the angels from uh, Silence in the Library and put them into which he hadn't yet written yeah mm. right so you've got to when Stephen Moffat says these things oh, so you have to take them with a slight pinch of salt I, I felt this was Blink 2 
as opposed to what was the other Angels one called? Time of Time Angels. of Angels. You know, that was all right. I enjoyed it, but I got to say that this was much more. I thought that. I thought this was like Blink Two, the return of the. Oh, I feel a difference yeah, in opinion I agree coming completely. on. Completely. Yeah. yeah. I actually prefer the story of the uh, the two part from Series Five. Do you? Yeah. But taking oh, JR's point, it could have been a different monster altogether in that story. Mm. That's yeah, what I was thinking. And, it and could have been to the point where the monster. angels were doing different stuff that it you could didn't have been... want them to do. You wanted them to do what they'd done in Blink. But Simon, didn't. it could have been a different monster altogether in Blink. Yes. No, I appreciate that. And it could have been a different monster altogether in this one, essentially. I mean, he has used the fact that the angels send people back in time. But, I mean, throughout the course of the story, all you get is Rory displaced once and then the Rory and Amy thing at the end. Mm. So if you discount the Rory and Amy thing at the end, because he's obviously used that because that's part of what we're having, all you basically needed is instead of Rory being displaced in time, Rory being kidnapped by Zygons and they have to go and look for him. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. As a story, what essentially it's about is Rory being stolen from the Doctor and Amy and River and the Doctor and Amy and River having to find him. Yes, it's now timey-wimey because he's using the angels, but if he hadn't gone the let's use the angels, let's have the timey-wimey route, you could still have written a story in which <coughs> essentially the same things happened. Yeah, but you could say that about almost any story. Really. Well, you it's could, thinking, but that's uh, the well, point. Am I right in the saying, story... though, if, if they suddenly created a backstory for the angels as to where they came from, does that then mean that they become the same as any other monster and they can and, and it, they stop being a device? They haven't, though, have they? No, though, they haven't, and I hope they don't. Yeah. No, because the thing about the angels is you can say they come from X planet and all these other things, but with, for instance, the Daleks... There is a reason why the Daleks are the way they are. But the angels, they touch people who disappear back in time and the angels feed off the energy of yes, the life. What I'm they... saying is if you gave them a backstory, then they become the same as the Daleks. They do have a, a grounding by well, which no, they could because, do stories. But, because the but Dal- what's great about them is they haven't. Well, yeah. And I'm not they, saying... They are mysterious. Yeah, I'm no, not we... saying it's a good or a bad thing. No. But you can't give but the like angels the fact a backstory. they are purely an idea. Yes. And they're a very cool idea. Oh, yes, no doubt. Mm. But by the same token, you can't <laughs> look at that idea and try and give it a f- three dimensions because it's just an idea. It's a concept. It's a concept that can't live and breathe. 15 love. <laughs> well, <laughs> I really like them. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is you can't write a story that's just purely about the angels because well, you, know, you would have to... Beyond the fact that they touched it, people. You? Well, they did try that in the time of angels. I know, and it had was a, rubbish. And it wasn't as good. <laughs> it was. And also you saw them move, which yes. was one of my biggest beats about that programme. No, I did, because if if they're moving, then maybe the rest of time is either going really, really slowly. No, the impression I got of that was they, that it was a bit of TV magic where you were seeing what you usually wouldn't see. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's what I got. I don't think they were actually moving in real time. They were moving in their own time. Yes. Yeah, but that didn't come across. If they, if all they had needed to have done was to show the angel moving in their own time and Amy going, you know, basically being really slow saying one note, <laughs> you know, because they move so fast. So, so fast. <laughs> so, so, so fast. A bit like the uh, Star Trek episode. I'm always quoting Star Trek episodes. Yeah, get out. Blink of an eye. <laughs> <laughs> you blooming trekker, you! Oops, I just oh. trod on the laptop. Trekker, yes. Oh, is it still trekkie. working? 
just trod on the laptop. Your blooming Trekkie, you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so this one, I mean, we had it was actually properly spooky. It was a really good atmosphere through it. My when my I son watches this, I guarantee were... he's going to get nightmares in this one. Yeah, my stepdaughter, she was thinking about watching it on her iPad. Yeah. Uh, bedtime last night. Excellent. Um, no, she asked us about it. Um, her mother said, "Oh, there's a really spooky bit with some cherub babies." And she said, "Oh, show me." So we showed her just like twenty seconds of the cherub babies, and she Freak said, out. "Okay, I'm not going to watch this at bedtime then." <laughs> it's probably not the best. Idea. <clears throat> so not that rubbish, then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what made it so spooky. What made it work was because they said him. Prohibition era New York had a kind of angel heart feel about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that film. Great yeah. film, and it de- very definitely tapped into that. Mm. I thought it Mike was... McShane was great. Really nice to see him back on the television. Really I hadn't good. seen him for yonks. Oh, there wasn't one bad performance in the whole thing, mm. was there? Really, there were only no. six performances in it. <laughs> no, but yeah, but no, but yeah, but yeah, but no, but um, <laughs> no, it was just great. Really yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, but well, <laughs> the uh, the Van Staten copy was a bit bit of a waste. I thought. The Henry Van Staten yeah. guy, you know. Oh, I'm a collector. Oh, such a yes, shame. Yes, but did he collect did them he... and put them all in the in the building together? Yeah, he just had the one. No, he only he? had the one. Did he? Was he was collecting the Ming vases and whatnot, and he managed yeah. to. Well, he collected add babies. The cherubs, yeah. Well, we don't know if he collected them or how they got in, but the point was, upstairs he had all the Ming vases and a weeping angel. He was just a collector of things, mm. a bit like Van Staten, really, yeah. I guess. Because although Van Staten's collection was based around things that had fallen out of space, you know, other than that, there was no real rhyme or reason to him. No. This guy, Mike McShane's character, was just collecting odd and valuable things, really, wasn't he? He was, yeah. What about River Song, guys? What did you think of her? I don't know, let's one? stay with the uh, collection for a minute. We're still talking about a collection. Pardon? Okay. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the Ming <laughs> she had a nice collection. They were very nice. <laughs> Well, no, I wanted to say more about... Actually, I want to say more about the New York feel okay, before on. we sort of go on to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I said my piece, really. It reminded me of Angel Heart and sort of tapping into that. But I was going to ask how successfully it did that. Lee, did you think it was a bit noir? Yeah, it was yeah. noir. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it was it was gorgeous, the whole thing. I, I love the way it was filmed. Mm. It's hard, Like I say, it's the Brits' take on filming New York in a gothic way, and it's, it just worked for me. I loved it. Nice, I got the Twin Towers in as well. Yeah, that was a bit odd, because I th- he, doesn't he say he's going back yeah, to 2012? Yeah, then he says at the 2012, yeah. So but the Twin Towers are there? Mm. I don't, I don't know. That. Maybe that was, and because obviously they must have added the Twin Towers in themselves. Mm. So maybe they did that in order to... Uh, it's kind of a subtle little. We had the uh, reset in the Big Bang, right? Right. Mm, yeah. But maybe it's just a little nod of the head back to that to say it's the universe tribute, has been yeah. reset, but not yeah. quite the same as it was before. Or they could have had some stock footage and they forgot to remove it. Uh, possibly. I but... think they'd leave them in. I think just it can't be 2012 though, can it? Obviously, because they're not there in our reality. No, but it's TV, isn't it? <laughs> Well, do you know what I mean? If you're faced with the choice of getting rid of the two towers that got knocked down by a bunch of terrorists... Twin towers. Two towers is Lord of the Wings. There's Sorry. still two so, towers, okay. Lee. Yeah, it was, it was, think, bang, it was banging around. I think I would leave them in as a two fingers. That's what I would You'd do. leave them as two fingers? <laughs> two towers to the terrorists. Yeah. Oh, I see. Get it. Oh, that's... Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Right. No, I think it I was think a... we're looking at this a bit too deep, to be honest. No, I think it was just a little in I'll be a first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a little in-joke, a little nod back to the Big Bang and the Universal Reset. And resetting it all. Yeah, yeah I think so. Probably. Okay. 
I mean, they must have been aware the Twin Towers were in that shot, so they chose to keep them there. Yeah. Mm. So they must have, you know, you don't make a choice like that without at least stopping for a few seconds to think about why you've made that choice. Hey, and what a vast improvement, New York, vast improvement of the evolution of the Daleks. Evolution. I did think back to that. Yeah, but uh, that was quite Do you think? Yeah, when you, when you think the Daleks the... was made in Wales entirely. Yeah. yeah. But it was set in almost the same time period with the you know Statue of Liberty when they landed on the island, didn't they? They sent a couple of blokes Statue with a camera, didn't they? Yeah, to... they got a few sort of yeah. plate shots. And that Empire was State Building they were building. That's right, yeah. In, Man- that's well. in uh, Daleks in Manhattan. Mm. It, that, that was a different thing. I like that story. I don't think... I don't mind it, actually. I, I thought it was quite good. But it was just such a you know visually vast improvement. Mm. Yeah. And but... tonally brilliant as well this was uh, maybe but that was supposed to be like a sort of cheesy king kong sci-fi type yeah, sort of thing yeah. no pigmen this time no but that was the idea with that one you can't really compare because they're two different two, no. two different we didn't things. get a musical number either this time around yeah. Yeah. i did kind of half expect mike mcshane to do some kind of spontaneous <laughs> song and dancing <laughs> he was good though really good that'd have been good he didn't really have a great part though but okay then river song yeah well, yeah. I mean, this this is just... I said before okay, to, before to Simon, start. this is a mind f***. Bleep. <laughs> Sorry, but it is, isn't it? It's a complete... When you sit down, and as soon as River Song turns up, I'd forgotten she was in this, and I went, oh, no. Because I think, oh, God, I've use my head now. I've got to really start thinking about this. What part of her life has she turned up? Oh, it was easy, because I said she's a professor now, so it's yeah. all running in the right order now. Mm. Well, it is and it isn't, isn't it's it? Because he's now invisible, and he's been he's wiped himself, uh, so he's changed the future a bit. And, oh, I don't know. No, his story with River Song now is running in the right order, like Simon said. Is it? Yeah, you don't need to think about that anymore. No. The River Song story Good. was done in season six. Pretty much wrapped six. up, wasn't it, last year? Yeah, they did the start, mm. and they regenerations and the end of river song story already yeah, yeah so now we've had the river song story she could just become a character who either turns up or doesn't but you don't need to do the whole spoiler i like her and i like alex kingston but mm. i think i'm she not was sure a bit redundant in this story yeah and also a bit redundant and also i think yeah, they need to use her a bit more sparingly now. Because I think because of last year, because it was all about her story, Yeah, I think it was a bit overkill, whereas I think uh, in yeah. the next few series, if they are going to bring her back, they should just let her dip in and out every once in a while, which I think is what they're hinting at. That's that's fine, actually, but you, JR is exactly right. She was redundant. It could have been anybody in this story. You didn't need her there at all, I don't think. I don't think. think she actually did, did anything. anything, did she? I thought the connection... Finally, there seemed to be some kind of connection between her and Amy, as in mother daughter. You could tell that they'd spent yeah, some that time was together. getting a bit annoying. Her calling her mother and her calling her dad dad all the time. Just call her Amy and Rory. Yeah, she's not done that before, she's and she's known really all the time. Irritating. <clears throat> I did find that a bit of an affectation. Yeah, that didn't feel natural. That didn't oh, work for me. Uh, the thing is, the reason <laughs> River Song was in this story was because it was the farewell to her mum and dad story. Yeah, so it wouldn't have felt right if she wasn't in the story. That's the reason. Yeah, why sod she was Brian. There. I was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Poor right. I was at home about that. Looking at his watch. Yeah. I wrote that Looking down. At his cube. I was like, what about Brian? 
yeah, River Song's the thing. granddad. Yeah, but here's the thing about Brian, and you, from a behind-the-scenes perspective, mm-hmm. River Song is Stephen Moffat's character, and every time River Song's been in it, it's been in a story written by Stephen Moffat, and Rory and Amy are also Stephen Moffat's characters. So all the arc stories that involve those characters and particularly important moments of their lives have all been written by Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat writes The Pond Family, being River Song, Amy Pond and Rory Williams. Now, Chris Chibnall is asked to do dinosaurs on a spaceship, and he says to Stephen Moffat, Hey, you know, we've not really seen Amy or Rory's family. Do you mind if I put Rory's dad just in this one story? And Stephen Moffat says, Yeah, okay, whatever, we've not done that, just stick him in. And he's a one-story character. But just by coincidence, Chris Chibnall is then asked to write another story later in that same run of episodes in which Amy and Rory are going to get a final happy story before they go into the sad story in which they leave. So it makes sense for Chris Chibnall, being the guy who has created the character of Rory's dad, to use Rory's dad in that story. So, if you look at it from a behind-the-scenes perspective, Stephen Moffat writes the Pond family that he's been writing for the entire two and a half years, and Chris Chibnall's two episodes just happen to include a Chris Chibnall character that Chris Chibnall created. So there's no reason for Rory's dad to be in this story, besides how would he have got there. So, you know, if you're... I mean, I think quite a few people have said, I wasn't Brian there, but you know, I think the question would have been, why would Brian be there? Well, Well, I think the fact is that they made a little bit of a thing about uh, Brian saying, no, go, go with the doctor, go with the doctor. And that's it. They get sent back in time and they live their life out and they don't, and we will never see them again. That's a really sad thing. And to not address that in any shape or form is a bit, um, bit rude. Considering it was only the previous episode as well. You know, a writer no, should address that, really, uh, at some stage. But having, having said that, if you think back to classic series, all, all these companions that have ended up in different time zones <laughs> and stuff like that, and, it, and the family's never been addressed anyway. It's only yeah. because of this new style, isn't it? That they Plus, start. Adric and the Dinosaurs. Uh, you might not know this, so I will add it in at this point. This episode was written and in the can before that episode. So that bit at the end where Brian says you know, go off and have a good life and save universes and stuff. Didn't happen until weeks and weeks later. Mm, that was one of the last things they filmed, wasn't it? That they was the, the last... Yeah, Power about, of Three was the last... What about last Amy's family? We never got to see them apart from one little moment at the end of... Big Bang. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they disappeared off the radar as well. And I just kind of think, well, this is unfortunate because you could have brought them in at any point. And they may, may have been interesting characters to, to weave into these. So you don't have to necessarily have a massive family outing like an RTD, you know. No, but this is... Episode, but okay, just but a this little is... bit more to, to see that she really has got parents. Right, but you have to accept that you've got a different showrunner, right? And different showrunners will do things in different ways. Yeah, so still got you family, don't. Though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but prior to Russell T. Davis, did any of the companions have a family? Tegan, no. Tegan did. Well, that was a, an ex- Victoria. That was an extended family Ooh, you're member. You're good, Simon. Come on, more. <laughs> yeah, but a family that you got returned to time and again throughout the series, and who became a regular, ongoing part of the that unit character's family. 
Right, now you're all clutching at straws. Yes, we are. The point <laughs> is, Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who might have done the family thing, but that's one writer. Yeah, I know. Stephen Moffat's gone off and yeah. done something else. So you can't bring the Russell T. Davis sensibility no, I know. into your you know, conception of what Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who should be. Apart from Chibnall has, and did it rather well. Yeah, well, people have said, did two Chibnall episodes harken back to Russell T. Davis's era of Doctor Who? Yeah. And it that's was. fair enough, but they do harken back to a different era rather than feeling naturally a part of the same We're era. just talking as viewers, aren't we? That you, you, make a, you make an emotional investment into good characters like Brian and you think, oh, you know, how's he going to deal with this now? We'll never well, exactly. know. We'll never know. Maybe that will be some fanfic somewhere. Maybe you'll get a letter. A bit of fiction. Bit back to the future, you'll get a letter delivered to him. See, that would have been a nice thing. You know, that maybe he takes a trip to, I don't know, wherever they got went back in time to. But they did live a life out, didn't they? Mm. Up until 2012. So maybe they, or did they? Was it 2012? Uh, well, we when don't know in the how graveyard. far back they went, but the grave... Grave said he was 82 and she was 87. But so. in that graveyard sequence was set in 2012, wasn't it? Yeah. That's modern, yeah. So they would have gone back in time. But there could have been a moment whereby a letter gets comes through to Brian on the door saying, you know, we're really happy. We're never going to see you again, but we're really happy. Don't worry, Dad. Everything's good. That would have been quite good. A bit touching. Yeah, but we won't see it on screen. No. Well, no, but we could have done <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it made me cry. Letter from America. <laughs> it made me cry internally. Obviously not externally because I'm a man and I'm sitting in a room full of men, <laughs> so I wouldn't have cried. But inside, I was going that. that like, I've got to say that last few moments of the Doctor breaking down and then getting all upset had me. It had me there, really? right there. Anybody else? Also Simon? The fact that, yes, it's Amy Pond. Oh, I've been wanting to get Little rid of girl. for ages, yes. but it was him. It was his reaction that got me. I thought, oh. Because in, in the same way as the Doctor has known her since she, she was a child, we've known her since she was a child. So there is that, that completeness to to see her from early years through to death. Is uh, I wasn't yeah. blubbing like a baby when I watched that the first time round. It was Just quite affecting, but it, I don't know. Something didn't quite sit. Well, you're true for me. I'll tell you what, what didn't sit too true is that, that um, the Doctor was being affected in the foreground and River was in the background. I think if the if the Doctor had kind of crumbled a bit and just kind of walked backwards out of shot, away from Amy, and River said, let me deal with this, you know, and then she would have said, just go. Something like that would have been better, I mm. think. I don't know. There was something that, you know, River oh, like needed, to, needed to be a lot like more the fact in that, that she scene. she reached out her hand to, to River. I can't remember where I read it. It may have been yeah. JR's review. It's it nice. seemed a bit selfish of the Doctor to want Amy to go back to the TARDIS when Paul Rory's been zapped back to God oh, knows where. On. Rory's been dead about six that times, be. hasn't he? How many Some, times? How somebody many times had did, said it, but how many times did Rory die? You know, like... yeah, stuff him. Yeah, it was wherever. Also a risk, he wasn't there was a risk that she wasn't even going to find Rory. So yeah, but she, it wasn't well, as clean cut as all that. You know, he died, it, and it, and it, that's where River. Why it needed to be River there because she's the one that said, "No, you need to take the risk." She's going to think, yeah. Take because, the risk, find yeah. Dad. You know, because the Doctor is a twelve hundred year old alien who doesn't understand. Yeah. Whereas River is a human being, and you know, a time lordy. And she wants her mum and dad to be together. Yeah. 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 So she understands, and mm. she thinks she knows the risk is worth what taking. Do we all think? Same risk she's taken many times, essentially, for the Doctor mm. when she 
steps out of an airlock and trusts in the TARDIS being there to capture her when she's out in open space. Yeah. Just while she didn't know it. <laughs> no, when he was she was when he was Patrick Trout, no. <laughs> he needed he needed more um, anger as well at the end of that. I mean, he did a brilliant thing where he looked at the chapter titles, and of course we could see the next yeah. chapter was Death at Winter, whatever it was, that Winter Towers, and it's like, oh, what's going to happen there? Winter but, Key, yeah, yeah, Winter Key. <clears throat> and then he looked obviously below, and then he sees the lot, and he banging, he's banging his head, going, "What did I do that? What did I? he's absolutely mm. livid with himself for looking at that? That was a really good, brilliant reaction shot, you know, for. Matt to, to act out and he did such a good job of that and at the end I was thinking it, you you would run through all, all those emotions of sadness um, you know uh, the anger um, everything you know when you've lost somebody or something instantly you get, you're so confused and he didn't show enough emotion he's right a time lord oh right God, so JR. <clears throat> but yeah. he's half human on his mother's side oh God <laughs> <laughs> I don't what know a, I don't what do we think about him using that regeneration energy to heal Stupid. her hand? That seemed so a bit... began again in that in the spaceship in spaceship. What am I talking about? In the TARDIS, rather. Um, when who is it dies? Chang Li, is it? Yeah, the Asian child. Yeah, he he dies, and so does Grace, doesn't she? Doesn't yeah. she? And of course, the TARDIS brings him back to life. When I think the whole world was going, Ugh, well, that's <laughs> rubbish. That was a super bad I know it's, movie. I know it's, it's a bit famonac, but oh, very good. She is. A child of the TARDIS, isn't she? So it's possible that he can use it on her that he wouldn't okay. be able to use it on humans. No, it's all right. It's it was ex- it was done in McGann, so therefore you think, okay, regenerative powers, you know, you can use them, but there's a cost. Well, she well, used it on him, I, didn't she? So. Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, he's got unlimited regenerations now. You know, Time Lords around to stop him. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is. I think the point is you needed to see her breaking her wrist to show just what she was prepared to go through to escape from the angel and prove to him that she would do that for them. But by the same token, you didn't want River Song running around for the rest of the episode with a broken wrist. No. It would have taken away from the rest of the drama. So, you know, what else are you going to do? It'd be funny, first aid. First aid. Bit of first aid. I think it'd be funny, though, wouldn't it, that every time she does anything, like... You know, quickly get the door. Well, I can't, can I? Because my wrist is broken. <laughs> or, you know, quick, hold that back. Ow, ow, ow. I thought you were going to say she was a really clumsy bint and he had to keep on using up his regenerations to make sure she was all right again. Bint. The song is not a bint. <laughs> bint. What decade are you from? <laughs> I think she's lovely. Could have given her a splint. He could have done. Bent with a slim. <laughs> I knew you, with a splint. you couldn't say it, could you? Oh, dear, it. this Listen, is getting um, embarrassing now. The, Everybody is a comedian. The other, the other thing I noticed throughout the uh, last couple is that, no, actually it was the power of three in this one, is that they're putting dates up on screen. Yeah. Uh, how in do you sort of, that? In a sort of artistic way rather than just plain text. Why? That really annoys me. Does really? It? Why? I thought it was cool. I thought yeah. it was beautiful. Like the barbecue what's, where they've got the, the heroes. Yeah. What's the point? To let you know Why where you are. Why have it on a barbecue? Yeah. I don't want to see it on a barbecue. Put it at the bottom. You mean in no. just in white text? You've seen space, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, in white text. Well, that's Lee. boring Lee. and dull. If you, listen, listen. Lee, what decade are you from? Uh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. All right, this is the cool thing to do. Go on, granddad. Is to do that, okay? Is to put your dates and times within yeah. the actual scene itself. Yeah. Hovering and floating around somebody's yeah. head or whatever. Works in Sherlock. 
No, it doesn't work in yeah, Charlotte. It, it annoys me yeah, it because it, it makes me think, well, now I know this is a programme. It takes me straight out of the drama, straight out of what's going on. And I see this funny little thing shaking and it's got a date. And you think, well, but, uh, that's just somebody in the studio. In, Lee, in, you, know, you do in, know it's a television programme. It's not real. Somebody making a television programme. Oh, sitting know, down and going, do you know what? I've got a really great idea. I'm going to put this date. I'm going to shape it like a sausage. I tell you what, Lee. Well, you every morning I I make the I make the time out of shreddies, but I make sure that I make them just before the yeah. time they've got to say. So, what was China? What was the China? What was that made out of? It looked like a birthday cake, didn't it? Right, the birthday writing on the top. It's ridiculous. No, Lee, it was drawn on a piece of glass. Simon, Simon, yeah. Lee. Here's yes, a question JR. for you then. Yeah. If. A bit of white text superimposed at the bottom of a television screen doesn't yeah. tell you you're watching a television program. <laughs> Why would this? Because we have grown up to see that when you see text at the bottom, it's explaining something that needs to... Like, you know, uh, I don't know, Egypt, blah, blah, it's blah, It's just blah. doing it in a or more interesting way. Stark, they have at the bottom. It tells you where, where, where the location is. That'd you be know... quite a challenge, wouldn't it? For a foreign language film where they're making all the subtitles out of sausages. <laughs> That really is getting stupid. But I'd like to see that. Yeah. I would. No, I don't know. I just think it's a, a little it's a little new trick to make things look modern and it's gonna be out of date in about three or four years' time, they're gonna be going that Do you really, have a problem? That invades my I've, screen I've time. Worked out Do you have a problem with printed letters on a page? Does that make you think, Oh bugger me, this is a book? Uh, I do if they're written out of sausages and fish. I know, cakes. I know how to confuse Lee now. It will completely freak him out if we give him alphabetty spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what they could have done in the Power of Three. You could have easily have seen that written on a plate. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it was done like that. It was on a barbecue, for goodness' sake. You know, yeah, it was fantastic and inventive and fun. Yes, stupid. and imagine quite tasty. Right. Okay. I, I, Maybe I'm on my own, but it's I quite it's Scott Pilgrim terrible. as well. Oh, it's very Edgar yeah. Wright. Isn't oh no, it? that's oh, yeah. fine because the whole thing is designed to be, you know, Scott Pilgrim is designed to be like a a, a graphic novel. Mm. So therefore, you can do whatever you want with the with the or visuals, video game. and you you expect it to be stupid and over the top and bizarre and fascinating and surreal. In Doctor Who, you're telling a story. I don't want the actual story invaded with somebody being clever with a text. Who was the director of that episode, Joe? Nick Hurran. Nick Hurran, yeah. Right. Good. What else has he done? He did that without moving his lips. He but would you, would the... you say it's a Stephen Moffat decision because it's been used in... No, the first time it was used... Yes, actually, this would be the first time it was used and then it was used in Power of Three, Three and then it Pond was used Life. in Pond Life. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I didn't see the Pond Lifes. Missed all of those. Oh, well, this was the same in Pond Life. Pond Life was They did it a little bit in um, Dinosaurs and Spaceship. The very opening, the opening scene where you've got the... Um, Triceratops they... pulling across a big sign. No. <laughs> saying, elsewhere. You know, as where he's, said where that, he's with Nefertiti to... in the, in the um, Egyptian Oh, and city. it's on the wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As you said that about the Triceratops, I was actually running through my brain thinking, I don't remember that, I don't remember that. Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Keep up, Lee. <laughs> yeah, quantum brain. Um... Amy and Rory acting in this one. I cut, there were some, there were a couple of shots where you cut away to Raw uh, to Amy reacting to something the Doctor and River were doing. Mm. She was good. Yeah, I, I know. But, I doffed my cap to her acting abilities in the whole of this season. It's been very good, apart from the first one. But uh, the um, but Rory again, not his fault, the actor, but the character development of Rory is appalling. 
somebody who's been around for 2,000 years is going to be much more of a fighter, a warrior. He's not going to be this exactly the same beaky-nosed dork walking around with his hands in his pocket. I thought he was great when he was on that rooftop moment where they're standing on the ledge. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah. Was anybody else thinking Vanilla Sky or Abre Los Ojos? I was thinking Vanilla Sky at that point, and I was also thinking, this is a kid's programme. We've already had a suicide that got... No, he wouldn't cited. like Abre Los Ojos because you... Uh, <laughs> Say got that again, Mark. Abre Los Ojos. <laughs> Because you'd have uh, subtitles along the bottom of the screen, didn't like that. Oh, yeah. What's the Brilliant Warhorse? It's the Spanish Gabriela version of Vanilla Sky, the original version. Vanilla Sky is a remake of a Spanish film. I haven't seen that. Oh, that it's much better than oh, Vanilla awesome. Sky. It's like 12 Monkeys. That was a remake of a short film. No, Abre Los Ojos is not a short film. It's a proper feature Maybe. film. Could you tell that again? I didn't quite. Abre Los Ojos. So sexy when he says it like that. <laughs> it means open your eyes. <laughs> I have. And throughout the entire film, it's a running I've seen thing. too much. The guy... You've seen Vanilla Sky, right? I have, yeah. So Good the film. guy at the centre of the film, you don't know if he's dreaming or if it's all really happening. Yeah. And throughout the Spanish version, about, I don't know, maybe four times throughout the film, he'll move from one sort of reality to the other. And as he does so, somebody will whisper in the background, Abre los ojos. So it's kind of a running thing that yeah. okay. this voice, it's like the um, leaves rustling in Amy's mm. Choice. It's like the signal that the change between the realities right. is coming. Nice, yeah. And then at the end of Abre los Ojos is the bit where he jumps off the building to find okay. out which da, 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 reality da, 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 is oh, real. Yeah, okay. I you tell it's me the that. same as in Vanilla Sky at oh, the end. Life on Mars. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But the, the, the problem is, of course, this is a children's TV program, and as soon as they got up onto the ledge, all I could be thinking of is, "Oh my God, my, if my kids had been watching that at eight, you'd you know, not be happy." I wouldn't be happy because it shows that you can stand on the edge of a bunk bed and go, "Right, I'm going to be Rory now." Ah, bang! Hospital time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if you've got it's... sick children, yeah. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, kids do stupid things. And you... I know they do, but there's... Lee's thinking back to his own childhood. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> exactly. I, did, I did think that, but I was not as upset with this as oh, I was day. with The Waters of Mars, mm. when the character no, shoots that himself. Is, to yeah. The yeah, that was horrible. Right. Father's Day is a similar thing. You know, a guy who throws himself in front of a car to save mm. the day. You know, th- mm. those things, I think, in a kid's program or family program... They're a bit dodgy. It's, it's got to be judged just right, and it? It has to be judged. Yeah. And I think Father's Day just about judged it right. This time around, we saw them jumping off and falling. Like that was my other half made enough. a point. This was a little bit like Amy's choice mm. at the end, where she's got to choose between the Doctor and Rory. I think going just back to the uh, Father's Day for a minute. In Father's Day, he was supposed to have died. Yes. yes. Mm. Yeah. So him throwing he himself in the front right. of the car yeah. is putting things back. But we know that oh, he was supposed to have died because we did see him seen die. It, yeah. Whereas in the waters of Mars. She kills herself mm. in an entirely different way, mm. and we've not seen the fact that she's supposed to die, only heard about it. Mm. And she's not supposed to die in the place where she eventually does die. Mm. So that is literally telling people that putting a gun to your head is okay, as long as it sets things to rights. As long as it's a laser gun. But in this one, <laughs> the jumping off the building is more a metaphorical leap of faith. I oh, know it is, but kids won't understand that necessarily. No, absolutely. So I thought it tread, uh, trod a very fine line. Mm. As an adult, I think <clears> it was great. It was brilliant, but I was thinking about... You know, was it? And not having seen this film, so as well as Vanilla Sky or Abre los Ojos, was it also very Inception? 
I haven't not seen really. Inception um, yet. No, not really. Really? No. Because I got the impression, because you know Stephen Moffat, because Stephen Moffat will take ideas from here, there, and everywhere, mostly mm. from continuity errors, the short story he wrote. But in this instance, I thought he was quite deliberately taking bits and pieces from films. The bit two thousand and one, where... I thought at the start. Oh, which bit? seeing which himself bit? as an old man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that did ring in my head. I was thinking, where have I seen this before? And I couldn't put my finger on it. But that's and what I tell it was, you yeah. what, the bit where they jump off the building and then they wake up in a graveyard somewhere else entirely, being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. You know, where they get true. kicked out of his head and they yeah. end up on the New Jersey turnpike. When, when she said, oh, they're going to be a bit bored hanging around the graveyard, I thought they All day. Been, they were like ghosts or something. I thought mm. they were some kind of quantum ghost. That was a very strange line. I'm not sure. Threw me completely. The, yeah, but I'm not sure if the director misunderstood that line and placed more emphasis on it than there should have been. Mm. Because I took it in script terms that that line was just a throwaway. River's talking about having to repaint the TARDIS. Yeah. And she seems yes. to be about to start on it right there and then. Oh, won't they be bored hanging around yeah. waiting yeah. for us? So these two have just yeah. woken up from a potentially life and death yeah. situation. And River's thinking, but we've got to paint the TARDIS before we can move on anywhere. <laughs> this is going to be a bit boring because we're doing it in the door. Yeah. So that's all I took it for. But it seems as if, to me, the director misunderstood the importance of that line in the script and gave it a lot more import than it really yeah. should have and had. And it actually felt very straight away. I looked at, at Mark and thought... Hey, yeah, they, is this going ghosts? somewhere? Are they, you know, could they be stuck here forever? Is this the tragedy? But no, they were, as soon as I realised they were alive, by the time I realised they were alive, they got touched and disappeared anyway. So I was like, oh, all right. That was very nice. It's the end of the Ponzo. The bit it, where you see Amy disappear and the statue behind her. Yeah. Oh, lovely. That yeah, really that was good. a beautiful yeah. shot. No more Pons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to a post-Pond era. It's going to be a refreshing change, hopefully. Yeah, it will be. I wasn't Amy's biggest fan in the first series. I warmed to her a lot more in the second. And she's been, you know, not brilliant, but, you know, not annoying in this series. Mm, yeah. But I am looking forward to a change because we've not had any opportunity, apart from in the Craig Owen stories, I suppose, but there was something apart. We've not had any opportunity to see the 11th Doctor interact with somebody else on the same level as he would have done with Amy and Rory. Mm, yeah. So it'd be nice to see a different... a different Dynamic. Yeah, except because it's Stephen Moffat, mm. so it wouldn't be a different dynamic at all. It'd just be a different actress <laughs> who's you know, playing the quippy uh, part. That River yeah. turns around and says, you know, don't travel alone, Doctor. And, of course, we had this from Donna Noble, who said you shouldn't travel alone. Yeah. And do you ma can you imagine the amount of times that's been said to him? Surely he'd turn around and just go, oh, shut up. I know, <laughs> right? I'll go and find somebody. Don't or worry, I've seen he'd the... turn around and say, no, it's fine, I'll travel alone, and then I'll turn into the Time Lord Victorious, and somebody will shoot themselves, and they'll go crazy in the head, and... <laughs> Bog off and sleep with Queen Victoria. No, Elizabeth I. And, Go back know. and get Adric. <laughs> Queen Victoria. <laughs> Adric. Now, you know I mentioned that in my review. Oh, did did I? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. I didn't read it. Sorry. Well, that's the whole Bloody point. typical. Yet. One of the big, big online debates in this has been, they're only in New York. Why can't he go back and get them? Mm. And well, he said he can't. It's a... It'll... Timelines are in the right state or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. So all he does is he either arrives in 1937 and waits a year, or he arrives in Minneapolis and goes to fetch them on a train. You know, he. But there's a line in the script, and you can put a line in a script to excuse anything. 
And this is not a reason, it's an excuse. He says they're time-locked, he can't go get them. You know, rubbish. But he could but, go and visit them. Well, why would he not be able to take them out? Yeah, but there's a threat of him changing the timeline then, isn't there? <clears throat> but is yes, but that's my point. Isn't there always? And that's why it reminds me of Adric. Mm. There is no reason why he could not go back and fetch Adric, but because the <laughs> there fiction is, there is a reason, <laughs> but, which is too polite to say. Yeah. The reason is <laughs> the reason is the fiction calls for him not to do so. So you have to come up with an excuse for it. Mm. And here again, we're in exactly the same situation. The fiction calls for him not to go back to New York and fetch them. Mm. So we, but we've seen him. Sorry. We, we either have to take it on trust, go with the fiction, take it on trust that he can't, and leave it at that. Or else, you know, if you're going to say, well, why can't he? You're just going to get frustrated with everything because at it's least, Doctor Who. At least this time round, the other companion wasn't visibly laughing when that person made their exit. <laughs> Have you not seen that? <laughs> What's that? At this the end one? of Earthshock. No. Uh, uh, Sarah Sutton's having to put her hand over her mouth because she's laughing so much. What? When they're supposed <laughs> to be crying at Adric dying. <laughs> Go back you and too. watch it. Really? No, you go back and watch it. It's great. They're supposed other... to be crying at Adric dying. <laughs> I met her the other day. I'll ask her. Um, uh, that, that has been broken, that rule, because, uh, you know, he says about Donna. The rule's always getting broken. Yeah, yeah. He says about Donna, you must not ever tell her about me. And then he comes back a bit and he goes, you know, she suddenly remembers him and wipes out a whole bunch of... And it turns out it's okay because she only remembered him for a couple of minutes. Then forgot yeah. again. <laughs> So, as yeah. they say in the sock puppet theatre, oh my god, it will cause the end of the world, or just three people will fall over and graze themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I reckon he could go back and just go and pop back and say hello now and again, as long as they don't do anything or they get in the TARDIS. There's <clears throat> a way, isn't it? Like, just like Rose was supposed to be stuck in a parallel universe that you can't go through to anymore, and then all of a sudden she's popping up again. Yeah, but it's ripping bigger holes in the fabric of space and time. It's a dangerous thing to do there, Simon. I think that whole thing just cheapened her exit, really. I think so, too. Mm. I yeah, don't I wouldn't want to cheapen Rose's exit, I tell you. I don't think it did. I would <laughs> argue with that because I think the Russell T. Davis era could not have satisfactorily, emotionally come to a conclusion without the involvement of Rose. So I think you needed to have her back for Journey's End. So I was not at all put out by the no. fact that she did come back. I liked it. I, I don't it think it cheapened her conclusion because in Doomsday, you get sad if you're going with the fiction because that is her exit. And it's not for two years that she comes back. So that exit has mm. lived for two years. Mm. It's what I say about the retconning. You do whatever you happen afterwards. But at the time Doomsday went out. I suppose you've also got the potential for the other Doctor to come back into the series. Well, no, because that was the end of that story. Yeah, but I just think it's quite clever in as much as David Tennant could age and come back whenever. So what we're talking about is the 50th anniversary. If we can't get hold of David Tennant as the Time Lord, just bring back his human version for a bit. That'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? That's going way back to it. what you were saying before, the whole problem I have with Waters and Mars is that Fixed points thing. Yeah. But the... Th fixed points, fixed cameras. <laughs> but, the, but, but the point with here, being able to go back for Adric or not, being able to go back to Amy and Rory or not, fixed points are only 
fixed points when a specific writer wants a fixed point in <laughs> oh, a specific absolutely. story. Yeah. So yeah. you don't build a story on a fixed point. No. This story wasn't built on the fixed point. The fixed point was just the excuse they needed at the end to say the Doctor couldn't go back for Amy and Rory. But you could still have had the rest of this story without it. Whereas in The Waters of Mars, they built the entire narrative around it being a fixed point. Whereas, you know, the first 45 minutes of that, the Phil Ford bit would have been great if he'd just taken those references to the fixed point out. Mm. And that's why... Always, always have a problem with the idea of a fixed point. Whereas I don't have a problem with the idea of them using it to not be able to go back and get Adric. I wrote a thing about Adric and I said, oh, this was in Pieces of Eight. And at the end, the, the Eighth Doctor and the Seventh Doctor are talking about whether he should have gone back for Adric. And I said, if he goes back for Adric, that doesn't cheapen Adric's death. And it doesn't cheapen how the Doctor feels about Adric's death, but it cheapens what Adric's death meant to Nyssa and Tegan. Because then you have a character who dies for a reason, and the fact that he hasn't died means that that reason, therefore, is um, not elevated to meaning anything by the fact that somebody had to die for it to happen. Yeah. Do you follow that? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it's the same here. That's what I'm saying. Is like this story could exist, and it not be the final story for Amy and Rory. It just be a weeping angel story. Let's not forget as well. There's always collateral with the Doctor. There's people who die here, there, and everywhere, and they've always they, he always tries to give them a meaningful death. And for him to treat his companions any differently is probably found one. We have we have had. You know, them die at various times, okay? So the more, every time they die, you kind of think, oh, right, they're coming back. Oh, well, okay, they're dead. You know, by the time Rory died the fourth time, you're kind of thinking, okay, when's the next time he's going to die then? So every time he dies, it becomes less and less And, of course, we right? see him die again tonight. No, yes. and we saw, we saw him die again, right? So the way of ending the ponds could have, could have been or should probably be death. But a death stop. You cannot go back. They would have to have died. In a time travel program to make their last exit, the terrible exit, just going back in time a bit, doesn't seem to be no, that strong. No, wrong. Completely wrong. No, no, it's beautiful. It's a beautifully beautiful way of doing it. Mm. But I just think it's a time travel program. This no. fixed point thing. To have seen like them say, die to use that as so many times and to show that death is not a permanent thing in their lives then you don't get rid of them by showing them die. You get rid of them by showing them going to a place where you can't fetch them back. Yeah, mm. the, graves, the grave that they're standing on, basically. That's, that, that is still effective, but just another way. I, I think just by sending them back in time, 80 years, and, it, it, and having the Doctor freak out, oh, I can't visit them. I mean, that's 80 years that he's not going to be able to visit any area of where they are, and he doesn't know where they are anyway. So he could come across them by accident and then completely mess up the time paradox. Ah, really lost your point there, Lee. The way in which they are taking out the series is they're using time to take two main characters out of the series in a time travel program where you can go back and forth time at willy-nilly. doesn't seem a strong enough thing to take two major characters out Yes, but the point is, we've seen both of those characters die like four times. Yeah, but they've all died in a very kind of special way. This way, way, we don't see them die. We get get to see them taken away, and then we get to see their gravestones. 
right? Mm. So the gravestone is a full stop. If they're in a grave, that's the death that they're not going to come back from. But you don't show that death at the end of the program because you've already seen the death. The death no longer has any meaning with those two characters. So what you do is you put those characters, like Rose Tyler, at the end of Doomsday, yeah. in a place whereby they can no longer have any contact with the Doctor, so they have to live the rest of their lives as normal people. After having had all these adventures, yeah, yeah. Rose and Donna have to carry on and live as normal people. And that's the worst thing. Because they can no longer... They know. If you were... Right, here's a brilliant example. Finn, your son, right? Mm. If I was to take Finn and put him on the other side of that kitchen door and tell you that you could never go in the kitchen and he could never come out, that would be much worse. Leaves what ruminating. About, what about... Um, <laughs> You know, he does that to him anyway. I th- well, yeah. I mean, okay, the gravestone is a great... T- the whole thing is is very good. I do admit I like it. I just think it's one of those things where... This, it's the annoying fixed point thing we were talking about earlier that just comes I in... I tell you what, reason. rather than using the fixed point thing as a thing in your head, use the fact that they said they lived a, a, a full and happy, happy life. life. Yeah, so why and, not? And the doctor would leave that alone because he knows that's happened. He wants them safe and he knows they're safe because they live a... Okay, so why not? He's standing on the the, the 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 grave side. Okay, we don't see the names, right? But then we see two old people walking up towards him, and there it is, Amy and Roy, really old with Zimmer frames, coming up, and he's missed their life. He can't go back and see them because they say you never came back, you never found us, and then we know that he definitely didn't go back and try and find them. And there they are, standing in front of him, and they both go, "We love you, Doctor," and they both die of a heart attack. Brilliant. You've had that same thing with with what she's written in the book. Me and Jay oh, are just book. looking at each other. We haven't talked about other. the book yet. Yeah, we're just sighing inside. Yeah. <laughs> what about the book, guys? You can Was download the artwork on the BBC mm. website. Can you? Yeah. Um, it's coming out as a book. Is it? Properly? Yeah. No, please An no. e-book. Well, why not? That would work. I was thinking about that. I thought that would make a good book. That's like a Target novelisation. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It's, oh, it's cool. well... Uh, look, Did you like the idea? It's rubbish, the artwork, by the way. <laughs> it's not Chris Achilles, is it? But it is. It's rubbish. <clears throat> well, I wrote about this. Oh. I thought this episode was a little bit meta. It was a little bit Stephen Moffat getting postmodern on his own legacy. Yeah. Mm. And the book is River Song. Spoilers, sweetie. Taken to the nth degree. The what degree? degree. This is, you know, we've had this whole thing with River Song and her book of spoilers that we're never allowed to look into. Yeah. Mm. And here's an episode where we see inside that book throughout the entire episode. And not only that, but they're finding out from this book what's about to happen just before it does. It's just Stephen Moffat having a bit of a a postmodern chuckle at his own tropes that have been pointed out time and again on the forums. I think it works. I like the book. I think it's a great idea. It's a fun it's idea. It's really good. F- yeah, that's exactly it. Really good fun. <laughs> you got to talk over the times when I blow the nose. <laughs> Can you make that into some kind of monster sound when he blows his nose? Yeah. <laughs> Wait till after the credits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're just gonna. You're just gonna put them all together. <laughs> Fifteen minutes of Jr. blowing his nose through the cold. I've got two other things to throw up. 
Um, <laughs> one is uh, one is uh, when he goes to meet River. That's a really nice touch where he's looking in the mirror and he's doing his hair. Oh yeah, I really yeah. like that. And he's he's doing his breath. <laughs> you know, we, we haven't seen a doctor What's do that, that before. Yeah, we need to find out. And um, uh, yeah, but Go this on. is the first who, time. Who licks their fingers and puts their <clears throat> hands through their hair? Whoever does that, who licks their hands and then and then sets their hair before seeing a lady? Do you do that? Jane? I don't. This is a doctor. Mark Hunt. <laughs> Bow ties are cool. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Lee, it, your hair would you know smell what? of spit. I, th- <laughs> I think you'll probably have done it. Yeah, in an emergency. Really, in an emergency. Lee, yeah. Right Lee. when I had hair. Yes, Joe. This is a doctor. Yes, Bow ties are cool. He doesn't do it quite the way everybody else I does. Know, he does like it the that. way you do it in the cartoons. He's a time lord. He's got a hair gel for spit. <laughs> <laughs> Sell it in pots. Anyway, you you picked up on something when he looked in the mirror. Well, only the plate. I I don't know if I'm being a complete fan and looking for patterns where there aren't any. Of course you are. Nerd. But it was a plate from something or other. It was a roll to do the Rolls-Royce engine or something. I just saw it. I suspect it's just that the TARDIS console has been created out of things like typewriters and an old mm. television oh, set. and it's and always like been that. there. We're just seeing yeah, it. Yeah, and right. it's just something okay. that has a reflection in it that they've used to show his reflection. But we will go back and pause that nonetheless of course and look we for will. the clues for the, next, <laughs> for the future. Now, it has been mentioned that in all episodes, all five episodes in this run, we've seen lights flickering on and off. Yeah. And that came to nothing. It just happened to be something that just happened to be in all five episodes. Or is that setting something up for the last half of the season? No. Really? Really? Was there lights flickering in every every episode? Apparently, yeah. Power of three? Um, I don't know. Was that the one where it was in the the... light fitting? No, that was dinosaurs. No, I think it was in the um, unit base. Right, okay. It's, it's a bit tenuous yeah, there. It is but... tenuous. That's an RTD. I think it's tenuous thing. all the way through. It, was a, it had reminiscence of the... Brian changing the light bulb. Is it all his fault? Oh, yeah. It's messing yeah. around with the electrics. <laughs> it's all his fault. <laughs> you know, things like A Town Called Mercy, where the electric light flickers, oh, yeah. Yeah. it flickers as a natural part of the story. So it's not like that was added in because Stephen Moffat said, can you do a bit where the lights flicker? Mm. No. Interesting, so, though. But to me, it just looks like three writers each wrote you know, between the five stories in which that was just a natural part of the story. Mm, mm. Uh, God complex. Yeah, those corridors reminded me of the God complex again. They're like corridors, don't they, Doctor Who? With the numbers on the doors. What's your worst fear? I'll open the door and And find myself dying in bed. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of those things. Feel of it. But like I say, I think Stephen Moffat, and I, I, I don't think people have really noticed this, but I think Stephen Moffat used that episode as a kind of greatest hits. Not necessarily a greatest hits, but a kind of postmodern metaphorical greatest hits. He was using bits and pieces taken from all over the place, more so than he usually does. Stephen Moffat will often use the same tropes as he's used before, like his introduction of Oswin. You know, he did a similar thing with... Um, Amelia, where we see her as a child before we get her as an actual companion. You know, this is the kind of thing that Stephen Moffat does. He, he does lots of things. But I think here, he was doing things like that deliberately. As a, You know, if you're going to say goodbye to the ponds, then say goodbye to the ponds by having quite a few things that will, on a subconscious level, remind you of other parts of their story. So the bit where you see a number on a door and then you open the door and the thing that's inside the door is your worst fear, mm. your final moments, mm. 
Maybe he put that in deliberately as a dot of the head to the God Complex, as well as because it works in this story as well. Mm. And actually, old hotel corridors are very creepy for kids. Yeah, hey, there's a lot What's of good... behind that door. I used to love that kind of, kind of thing. When you go away and you stay in a bed and breakfast or whatever, there's always a closed door. And you think, who's... They've never come out. Very well, Dal. Right, guys, I, th- I think we've probably been talking for long enough because I've got a few emails yeah. I want to read out. Just one quick thing. Um, the angels have never made a sound, as far as we know. And that is just something I absolutely love in these these monsters that they don't well, they make speak in time with angels they don't don't make a sound the at all but the cherubs, cherubs the chuckling and the skittering across yeah, the floor which was nice mm. but I kind of thought well you're bringing sound into it now oh no but the skittering and the chuckling really really scary oh yeah it was good score oh quite high for me about nine I think yeah I'll go with that I'm, I'm, an, I'm a nine on that my high score eight mm. Yeah, I'm with Mark. I'm an eight. I think, yeah, I don't. There were, you know, the bit where Amy and Rory jump off the building and go into slow mo, and me and yeah. the missus are sitting there watching it, laughing our socks off. That was the one. Do you want me to read out the emails for you, Jay? No, I'll <laughs> give it a go and see how I go. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, I'll start with a very short one and we'll see how. Uh, um, oh, before I do. It's just as well we're not doing the Marmite episode, isn't it? Why? You'd be saying barbite all the time. Oh, kettle off. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I do... Can you do the do, Spanish accent, these emails? Oh, God. <laughs> Did you like that, Lee? <laughs> For a second. Before I read any emails, I want to put a request out. All right. In a few weeks' time, we're going to... Once the dust has settled on Series 7A, or whatever you want to call it, we are going to do a podcast looking back over all five of the stories giving our thoughts once we've had time to think of them a bit, because particularly with the other four episodes, we did the podcast after, you know, straight away, immediately after first watching them. So we're going to do another episode like the episodes we've done with 1970 and 1978, where we go back over the series and give our thoughts. And when we do, we usually score the episodes ourselves and then uh, talk about them in reverse order of how we like them. We put them in order oh, yeah. of preference. So, if, for instance, if Asylum was our favourite, we'd put that first. And if Dinosaurs was our least, we'd put that fifth. But I think it would be nice this time if it wasn't just us who put them in order, mm. if it was the listeners as well. So, what we'd like you to do is either email us at blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk or on Twitter or on our Facebook page or wherever. I think we can set up a vote on the Facebook page. Can yeah, we? I think we can, yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. Oh, maybe we'll do that. Okay, find our Facebook page and we'll set up a vote. Uh, no, can we do this? I don't think we can do this because I want people to put them in order of preference. First favourite to fifth favourite. Okay. And no joints. It must be first, second, third, fourth, fifth. So just email us or find us on Facebook and leave the message or whatever. But do that and in a couple of weeks' time. So you've got two weeks from the date of this podcast. And I will uh, put it all together and find out, you know, what the Blue Box podcast listeners thought of this time from their favourite to least favourite. Right. In the meantime, on Twitter, Tristan Alfaro, known as DJ Alpha T, just said... um, just discovered the Blue Box podcast. Love it. One of the all-time best Doctor Who podcasts. You actually talk sense, he said. Oh, bless you, man. <laughs> Which episode did he listen to? 
thank you very much. Oh, here's a funny one. I was going to save this one for another time, but I'll say it because Lee's not concentrating. Mr. Peter says, please give Lee my compliments. He is absolutely hilarious, especially when he's miserable about something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you (laughs) ass. Is that really necessary? That's why you can bleep it. Might I suggest he be given his own show, but made to comment on stories you know he loathes, and let the lad grump out to his heart's content? How about time flight? I have been really, really, really good the last few weeks because of the new series. So yeah, it's about time he had some stuff that I can moan about. Right, while I collect my snot together. (laughs) Yeah, let me read. And because do you know what I thought you were going to say? Get off! Get off! Do you know I thought Mark was going to say, "Here, Joe, let me blow your nose for you." Let me get that. On the spot. We've not had one for a while. Oh, On the spot. Lee, God 60 sake. seconds on time flight. Oh, you bitch. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. I hate time flight so much. I really do. This is the worst. This is one of my worst all-time Doctor Who. It's boring. It's boring. They had a Concord. Somebody said, right, we've got a Concord. Let's make a story around it. I could make a better story around a, a packet of digestive biscuits. It was rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Khaled. Is that his name? Khaled. Khalid. Khalid in his cave. I've moaned about it before with him just standing there going, <laughs> speaking tongues to himself while, while no, no one else is around. And it's the master in disguise. Why keep the disguise on when there's no one around apart from a couple of rocks? The turds, what were they called? <laughs> Plasmatons. Plasmatons. The, you know, the gel guards, brilliant. Plasmatons, they are like gel guards poo. There's a gel guard action figure coming out. Like, that's cool. Brigadier. And also, um, who else was in that? Tegan was in that, and oh, I don't know. Do you know what? I think I, I watched it at the Accurate. time of air, air, air date. When was it? In 1982, something like that? Mm. And that was a point where I started to not want to watch Doctor Who again. That was one of the points. And then I rewatched it on B-Sky B in the, in the 90s, and I just nearly threw up because it was just <laughs> one of It is the worst piece of TV ever. Not just Doctor Who TV. Yeah, definitely. Okay, you managed a minute and 20 seconds. Well <laughs> oh, you swear. <coughs> I was going to stop you, but I Hollyoaks. Hollyoaks? Time flight beats that. I can watch Hollyoaks. No. Hollyoaks is fun. It's completely ridiculous. It's murder. Uh, Gary Davison. Hi, JR. Well, so far, Series Pond hasn't disappointed, has it? He wrote this just before this last episode went out. Mm-hmm. He says, not long before we see just how wrong my bye-bye Ponds theory was. <laughs> but in the meantime, was re-watching Mercy... Much better on a second viewing, he says, which we all agreed with. Mm. Uh, when I noticed something that I've not seen commented on anywhere, um, avoiding spoilers this week, he says a friend has power surprises slightly spoiled by an online comment about a reference to 1975, Zygon's reference in Power of Three. During the shootout with the gunslinger, says Gary, has anyone noticed the do- that the doctor is suddenly wearing his long green coat, then is back in the tweed? but never goes anywhere near the TARDIS. More timey-wimeyness afoot. Mm. Anyway, that's Gary. So I think next time we go back to uh, mm. a town called Mercy, we ought to check out and see if we can notice that for ourselves. We should have called it a town called Percy. <laughs> continuity. Thank you, Gary. We can put any more continuity errors out there. We like those. I like and those. on my face at the moment, I'm wearing a frown called Simon. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I can see it written in sausages on the table. <laughs> uh, finally, an email. An email from Andrew Williams, first-time writer. Hi, J.R. Lee, Mark, and Simon. Hello. Oh, we get a mention as well. 
Thank you. Thank I've you. recently started listening to the podcast, having chatted with Lee at the Unity event near Exeter. Oh, yeah, of course. Hello. Looking back at your photos on Facebook, I see that I had appeared with Lee and JR and should have exterminated Simon. He was yeah. the Dalek. Yeah. Uh, the Unity event. Uh, podcasts are great. It's good to hear your discussions and find some of my views echoed during the show. Mm. I have gone back to the beginning and listening to your episode on yourself, the one called Us, I was interested to hear your experiences of growing up while Doctor Who was still on air. I was born in 1985 and therefore by the time I could remember Doctor Who, it wasn't being produced anymore. Therefore my memories are made from repeats. The stories I have early memories of are Battlefield, Pyramids of Mars, The Green Death and The Sea Devils. Mm. I remember rushing home from church on Sundays to see the repeats. They had a ah. series of Sunday lunchtime ones, didn't yes, they? Yes, yes, yes. Right. I started catching up with Doctor Who through the videos starting with The Curse of Peladon mm. and the 1994 annual provided most of my knowledge of Doctor Who, bolstered by the documentaries, particularly the 30th anniversary. Yeah. That was a good one. 30 years in the TARDIS. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. The new bits of Doctor Who I remember were The Paradise of Death, the Ghosts of End Space and Dimensions in Time and eventually Oof. the TV movie. Oof. An unusual time to become a Doctor Who fan, but I wondered how many other fans there are out there that became fans during the 90s. Mm. I'll have to read you and who, he says. Keep up the good work. Brilliant. Is, nice that, the chat, is that the chat where he... <laughs> Yeah. I made a comment because there's a picture of the Dalek marching you two, Lee and JR, along. And I made a comment saying... Um, I saw a bloke with a pudding basin haircut getting the Dalek earlier, meaning Eric Saywood was inside the Dalek. <laughs> I think the poor chap thought I was talking about him because <laughs> he said, I don't, I don't think my hair was that bad. Oh, no. Simon, Bless you him. evil so bastard. I have to apologise. I wasn't talking about you at all. I was making a joke about yeah, the well, Saywood. We're all shaking mm, our head. We know yeah, Simon yeah, a lot better than that. We all know Simon's the evil one. Oh, the yeah, evil yeah, one. Yeah, the evil one. Um, yeah. Uh, that was a lovely email, by the way, because I'm fascinated with people getting into Doctor Who, you know, being born in, say, the 90s or the, the, the late 80s. It is interesting because we had that, that that strange period in the 90s. And the, the well, you'll have out. to read You and Who as well then when it comes out. Maybe, maybe I will. And how, how do we get oh, Have you got that? a book coming out, JR? Uh, we'll talk about that next time. No, we won't. Talk about it now. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk about it next time. He's making a special sign at me. <laughs> it involves two fingers and one of them suddenly drops away just to reveal the one oh, really long fingers JR really phone long bony fingers wow. wow JR phone home yeah. oh, like, he says like, like freaking Homer Simpson when he says like do you mean Day off, oh no. you, you know the Reaper? Or was it, is he called Sharon or Caron? The, the guy that yeah, gets. Yeah, my name's Sharon the Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> I just think Jar's got a finger of got a hand of it. I'm Sharon the Reaper, man. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Joe, go watch Clash of the Titans. He's got bony fingers. <laughs> fingers like a tree frog. That's what he's got. Yes, yes. That's exactly it. It's not easy being green. <laughs> Mark singing. Tis I got a big black green Sharon the finger machine. <laughs> oh God! Oh, I think it really is time to go now. <laughs> Simon, I'm just going to say good night. Can you edit this about two minutes back into the podcast? <laughs> no. <clears throat> Next but, time, okay. Well, Ooh. I was Jr. Unlike other podcasts, we don't edit, 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 edit. edit. No, we don't. Uh, next time, 
if I'm not mistaken, next time is our episode looking at the changeover between season 17 and season 18. Mm. It's the sequel to, as you mentioned earlier, our Barbite episode. <laughs> if you remember when we did the Marmite episode, we were trying to build up to something and we never got there because we just talked too much about the things that we were talking about earlier in the episode. Mm. And the thing that we were building up to was the way that the... <laughs> Lee doesn't Lee care. Doesn't he wasn't in that one. I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's, <clears throat> no, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, whatever. my point back then was that <laughs> the, the, the differences between season 17 and 18 are such that for a lot of fans, it's either one or the other. Oh, okay. So there's a real sort of Marmite thing there. You either like season 17 and don't like season 18 or oh, vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we decided to do an episode on that change and see what conclusions we could come up to. And I th- unless I'm badly mistaken, that's next week's episode. Right. Oh, we've done that already? Yeah, you didn't, because <laughs> once again, you were missing, Lee. <clears throat> so we had a really nice chat without you. He was Lee. Oh, he was Simon. He was JR. And I was myself. You can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk.